I am really looking forward to Easter Sunday. It's going to be a fantastic time together, a powerful time for our community to gather. And uh, we've got 800 seats, so that means there's plenty of space for you to invite your friends and your family, because we have great news, don't we? Jesus has defeated death, and he has brought to, to light life and immortality through the gospel, and that is a message that's going to be declared with great boldness and power next Sunday. And so bring those that need to hear that message of hope that uh, I know has changed us, so... So if next Sunday is Easter, then that means that this Sunday is Good Friday, uh, not Good Friday, Palm Sunday, and then Friday is Good Friday. So we're in the Passion Week, the week leading up to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so on this Palm Sunday morning, what we're going to do is continue through our series in James. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verse 7 through 12, so you can open your Bible now to that portion. And then uh, you'll notice that, well, we're... We're not ending the book, so when will we end James? Well, we're going to end James on Good Friday. So you're going to have to come uh, at 6.30 again on, on Friday, and we'll be going through verses 13 through 20. And like any good series, you know, if you're watching a show or something, you can't miss the ending. So you got to come to Good Friday service. And we're going to have a special time where that text speaks about how we're to pray for healing, to pray for forgiveness and to pray for wandering souls. And each of our teaching pastors are going to be sharing a portion of that message along with uh, worship and prayer interspersed throughout the entire service. So just a really special and unique time that we encourage you all to come gather with us this Friday. And then, of course, like Ben Kai said, we've got Easter Sunday and then baptisms after that and then home groups after that. And while we're going through home groups, we will be teaching through the book of Philippians. And uh, just want to encourage you that if you haven't signed up for a home group, there's still time. But we have had over 250 people sign up for home groups. And it's, a, it's amazing. So uh, if you already feel like this church has a sense of belonging and connection and community, like it feels like family, just wait for these eight weeks. It's going to feel even more so. Um, and so, aren't we a blessed church? Amen. 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 Well, with our Bibles open to James chapter 5, let me read our text for this morning, starting in verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today, and we ask that it would illuminate our hearts to 
be established in the steadfast hope of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that today we would be ministered to by your word and by your spirit. And Lord, that we would be eager and expectant for the coming of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that it is at hand. And so prepare us now as we look to you for everything, um, for life and godliness in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So James says there in verse 7, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So we're given this command, right? Be patient. And patience, we know, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a quality also that we discover in God first. We are to be patient because God is patient with us. And as followers of Jesus, we have been called to be imitators of God. But what is James asking us to be patient about? You know, is James telling us that you need to be patient at that long intersection when you get stuck at a red light or, or that roundabout that people don't quite know how to drive through or to be patient at the grocery store when you're in a long line or when, especially when your kids are acting up in a restaurant, you know, uh, and, and especially in those moments when you're feeling that terrible thing called being hangry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So these are all areas in my life that I need to work on, um, but patience Patience is a virtue that is to be had across the board in all kinds of situations as believers, but if you notice that word therefore in verse 7, it clues us into what James is calling believers to be patient about. When we see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask this question, what is it there for? And it tells us that there's some context that we need to gather. And the immediate context would tell us that we need this spirit-filled virtue of patience because righteous people are unjustly murdered. And we think about what happened this week in Nashville and how our hearts go out to our dear brothers and sisters as they grieve that injustice. We need patience because fat-hearted and self-indulgent rich defraud the righteous poor. We need to be patient because like a mist, our loved ones are with us one day and then gone the next. We need to be patient because there are fights and quarrels that want to rob us of our inner peace. And you can go all the way back to the book of James, even back to chapter one that taught us that as Christians, we will endure through many colorful trials and testings and temptations and tribulations and whatever you want to call that which is hardship in the Christian life. We endure through that with faith. And we're going to again see why. Because God is seeking to produce steadfastness in us steadfastness of faith in you, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so the therefore, as beloved of children of God, we are to be patient, and this is why, because we live in this world, in this world where there is an ongoing tension of either wanting to please the Lord or be with the Lord. But, but we have this constant grappling of the world and the flesh and the devil, and we live in a world that is full of wrong as we eagerly wait for God to make everything right. 
And that's what he's doing. That's what God does when he brings his kingdom. He makes wrong things right. He brings healing and restoration and redemption to the things that are lost and broken and that need healing. And that is why, believers, we're called to be patient. God is working that out. But how long, O Lord? Right? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. Now, is that a long time from now or a short time from now? We know that from when James wrote this letter, it's been now 2,000 years and Jesus has not yet come, but every generation has lived with this expectant hope that Jesus could come at any moment, that his return is imminent. And Peter tells us in his letter that with the Lord a day is a is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, and and that the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. He keeps them, but he is patient toward us, not wishing that any would perish, but that we'd all come to eternal life through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But, but But that we are waiting for God to come. But the whole part of the reason for why God has delayed his coming, the second coming of Jesus, is because He wants to save people. He wants to save you if you're not saved yet. But look, in comparison to eternity, how long or how soon is quite relative, right? Jesus is coming again, and the Bible says he's coming quickly. He's coming soon. Be ready, because every moment is another moment closer to the coming of Christ. It's imminent, The coming of Jesus has been promised to us, and it will happen soon. And we know that Jesus came once to die for sin, and he rose again from the dead, which we'll celebrate this next Sunday at Easter, and he appeared alive to many, including James, his half-brother who wrote this book, and then he ascended to heaven, and as he ascended, he promised that in like manner he would return only the second time he would come to bring final judgment. The first time he came to bring judgment, but it was a judgment of mercy when he died upon the cross for our sins. But there's coming a day when God will come again, when Jesus will come, and he will bring about a judgment of wrath. See, God brings the promise of his reward to those who humbly accept Jesus Christ. But God will bring the promise of his vengeance on those who have proudly refused to accept Jesus Christ. So Jesus is coming again, and he's coming as a judge. Only some will be judged by mercy, whereas some will be judged by wrath. And I'll just tell you, this has everything to do with whether or not you have a living faith in Jesus Christ today. And so when James says, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord just got to say, you, you, you can't even really know or understand what I'm saying unless, one, you've believed that Jesus came once, the Son of God who became the Son of Man to die for your sins upon a cross and was raised from the dead to prove it. 
And two, you have called upon his name in faith. You've become a child of God, which makes you, right, a spiritually adopted brother or sister in Jesus Christ, which is why James can say, be patient, therefore, brothers, sisters. Patience is for the family of God. And then three, if you are in the family of God and you have looked to Jesus Christ to be saved, then you know and you believe that Jesus is coming again and that when he comes, he will judge the living and the dead. And because you have received the gift of new life in Jesus Christ, you will live with resurrection power for all of eternity in his kingdom where there is no more sin or death or the devil. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we wait with expectation and hope, but we have to wait patiently. See, James is saying to those who believe this to be patient for all of this to take place. Be patient as you drive through those roundabouts and busy intersections. As you shop in the grocery store and raise your kids or have grandkids, or be patient as you cry out to the Lord of hosts when you hear about those senseless acts of injustice in our world. Be patient as you daily battle with the world and the flesh and the devil. And remember, Jesus is coming again. And he brings the promise of his reward to those who have hoped in him. Be patient. Now, it seems that James knew that we would ask that question, but how long? We were only 30 minutes into our drive to Palm Desert last weekend, which, by the way, I'm sorry for, you know, causing anxiety in the whole church. Uh, my wife's like, you told the church that we could die in our drive to Palm Desert. Like, what are you doing? So. But, you know, we were, we were only 30 minutes into our trip when my kids were asking, are we almost there yet? Right? And the best part is, though, is... You know, every minute, every mile, when they'd ask, are we almost there yet? I could say, we're closer. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're closer. And there came a point when we arrived to our destination. And, and, and so James is going to give us a few examples of patience as we wait to get to our destination, as we wait to be reunited with our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we're not the only ones who have endured through hardship. We're not the only ones who have patiently waited for the coming of the Lord in the midst of trying times. And so we need to look to these examples together. And so first, we're going to be given sort of like a parable, the example of a patient farmer here in the middle of verse 7, it says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, I joke that I wouldn't be a very good farmer at all. Um, I have a hard time keeping succulents alive. Um, and, and in my life, uh, about the only things that I grow, and I don't even really grow them, I buy those pots of basil plants, you know what I'm talking about, that you get at Trader Joe's and keep those on the counter, but I've purchased about 20 of them by now. Um, and so the closest thing that I've come to being a farmer is my daughter grows tomatoes in the backyard, and we've got a peach tree and a lemon tree back there. And, and our peach tree right now has these little blossoms, which tells us that there's fruit coming soon, which is exciting. Especially with all this rain we've gotten this year, I'm, I'm expecting some good peaches on the tree this year. 
but we live in this culture, right, where we, we have instant access all the time to most things, especially to food. And, you know, our produce aisles in the grocery store, those are stocked because farmers have patiently waited for the precious fruit of the earth to come, and they've been patient for the fruits to come in their season. And it's so funny. It's like, why don't I have strawberries now, <laughs> you know? You got to wait for the seasons of the fruit, right? And that's what farmers do. And they're dependent upon God for the rains to come. They wait for the, the early rains, the rains that are in the, the fall, the rains of October and November. And then they wait for the later rains, the, the spring rains that come in March and April. And, and this rain is what is speaking about is that you, you're patient and you're reliant upon God for the things that he brings to bring fruit. So... Although I'm not a farmer, and I, and I don't presume to know much about it, uh, I, I can look at what James is saying here, and I can appreciate what a farmer does, that a farmer has to be patient to wait for the fruit. They have to prepare the soil. They've got to plant the seed. They've got to water the seed. And then as they wait for those first signs of growth to sprout out from the ground, that they need to protect it. And then as it grows, they need to tend to it, and then they need to patiently wait until that time when the fruit comes to the plant. For instance, pineapples. I love pineapples. Not on my pizza, but I like pineapples, right? <laughs> There's a big debate with my wife on this one. Um, but pineapples, regardless of how they're started, is a pineapple plant matures at between two and three years of age when it will bring first its first fruit. One fruit. And then afterward, it can produce fruit one to two other times at roughly two-year intervals before the plant wears out. Now, now, if I'm understanding this correctly about how pineapples grow, that means that from one plant, you get three pineapples in five years. Wow, makes you appreciate your pineapple pizza, <laughs> right? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Now look at verse 8. It says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now if a pineapple farmer can patiently wait for three pineapples in five years, you can be patient. Establish your hearts, right? Anchor your heart in a much bigger and better promise than three pineapples in five years. Jesus is coming again. That's a much bigger promise and a better promise. And we're waiting for that harvest to come, and it says that the Lord is at hand. And you remember that term, that the Lord is at hand. You just put your hand out in front of you. How far is that from you? It ain't very far at all. Jesus is coming. He said he's coming, and it's coming soon. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and it's this, is that the second coming of Jesus is one of the most sanctifying truths in the scriptures. What I mean by that is when you realize that Jesus could come at any moment, it's going to shape the way that you conduct yourself today. See, if, if it were possible to know, which, which it's not possible, but if, if you knew that Jesus was coming today at 5 p.m., how would you live the rest of your afternoon? 
right? And when your heart is captured by that very real truth, because he could come at 5 p.m. today, the reality of that will establish your heart. You will have a confident hope that you will want to live with a pure conduct before your God because the coming of Jesus is at hand. You can say, I'm ready. And if the Lord were to come today, I would be ready for him. Now, some people don't want the Lord to come back, either because they're too attached to the world or because they've been walking in the flesh or because they've been deceived by the devil. But not us, right, brothers and sisters? We, we, we know this. We, we've been patient. We've established our hearts in hope. We have the blessed hope of Christ's return. And so the reality that Jesus is coming, it not only produces that blessed hope within your heart, but it also provides us with a reason to have holy conduct, to live holy lives, a reason to part with sin. And, and if I may say, especially as we've been learning in James, the sins of the tongue. Because look at the next verse, verse 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is standing at the door, which means that he can hear us. He hears what we say about one another. If you grumble about or judge one another, you know, the real judge is within earshot of hearing it. And if I was talking to a good friend recently, and he was sharing his testimony with me, and there was a point in his life where he was at the height of his career. He had achieved all that he thought he had ever wanted, but the problem was is that his, his family and his home was neglected. And he found himself in the middle of a divorce. And why? Because he had given up everything in order to pursue his own selfish ambitions. And one day, he was a few minutes late to work, this job that he'd given everything for. And he came to the meeting room where he was supposed to be with a group of people, and he put his hand on the door, and behind that door, he could hear his co-workers on the other side grumbling about him, slandering him, gossiping about him. And in that moment, it hit him that he had given up everything for that career in order to lose that which was most important to him, his family. For what? so that people could grumble about him beside, behind closed doors. And so the beautiful part of that story is that he didn't open that door that day, and instead he immediately went and was reconciled to his wife, and they have a beautiful and flourishing marriage and family, and they're patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And just as my friend knows, that the judge now is standing at the door. To stand at the door means that at any moment he may enter in. And, and, and you know, Jesus is fully aware of what we're up to, even when we're not aware of it. Wouldn't this be a nice time for Jesus to come back? Like, I'd love for Jesus to come back while I'm preaching the gospel. That'd be a nice time. <laughs> But there's other times, there's times behind closed doors, right, where, where, where it's like, oh, no, not now, Lord. But he stands at the door. 
He knows every moment, every action, and every word of your day. And if he were to come back, what would he find? Would he find faith? Will he find strong families in our homes and in our churches? What will the judge find, brothers and sisters, when he opens the door? Because you don't want to be found living on the earth in selfish luxury and self-indulgence. You don't want to be found defrauding people in your business dealings. I'm sure you don't want to be found arrogantly going about your own self-made plans, not considering God in your life. I'm sure you don't want to be found judging or being proud or being double-minded or being a friend of the world or fighting or quarreling or having jealousy or selfish ambition. So do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. See, when that door opens, this is how we ought to be found. This is how I would want to be found, calling out to the Lord in prayer doing the right things, walking in God's will, spending my life and and speaking life full of mercy over one another, submitting to one another, being humbled, being cleansed, drawing near to the Lord and drawing near to his people, sowing peace and, and, and harvesting righteousness, producing fruits of good work, looking to Jesus with faith, hope, and love because he's the only true lawgiver and judge. What I just did there is I took everything out of James that we were told not to do, and I took everything in James that we were told to do, and I was like, I want to do the things that God's word has told me to do and not do the things that God's word has told me not to do. And and so we want to live these lives where how we will be found when the judge comes and when that door is opened. I heard a beautiful testimony of somebody today from the first service who had a dream last night that like there was the zipper of heaven that was opened and and she was quarreling she was in the middle she's been in the middle of this argument and it's like there was after the message day she just realized i need to stop fighting because he could come back at any moment and it's true are, are you in the is is your marriage on the rocks jesus could come back right? Are you slandering or cursing other people? Jesus could come back in the middle of those words. How are we going to be found? Because Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. (sighs) Makes you think about what you're saying. Remember what James said in James chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I've never heard of a merciful grumbler. Right? Grumbling is the sound of judgment. And if you take that word, grumble, or some translations use the word murmur or even gripe, these are all onomatopoetic words for complaining. Murmur, <laughs> grumble, gripe, 
right? When, when you've got words that are coming off of your mouth and out of your heart, that's... Right? And God takes complaining very seriously. Go read the Israelites in the wilderness. So who are we to judge our neighbor? Who are we to grumble and complain against the Lord or against one another? There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he's at the door. He's patiently waiting to enter. And so this should cause us to pause and think about what we are saying and what we are doing. And so we have two examples of patience so far. We've seen the farmer who is patient, and we've seen the judge who is Jesus that is patient. Now in verse 10, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And a worthy study to do in the Old Testament would be to go and look at all the Old Testament prophets and see how they suffered for the sake of speaking in the name of the Lord. And if you had to choose one to look at, go, go look at the life of Jeremiah and see all the things that he suffered. And there even came a point in his life where he was like, I'm done, Lord. Like, I don't want to speak your name anymore because of all the things that I'm suffering for speaking on your behalf. And so he said he tried not to speak God's word anymore, but it says he couldn't because God's words were like a fire that were shut up in his bones and he was weary of holding them back. It's like Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And in the same way, suffering comes upon those who will be connected to their master. A servant is not greater than his master. And so think about how the prophets suffered before that. Think about how Jesus suffered. I mean, go read the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about this, all the people of faith and the things that they suffered. Let, let me pick up here in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering, or, uh, and then verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The end of that part there, what the writer of Hebrews expresses there in this powerful truth is that the, the prophets were patiently waiting for what we have clearly revealed to us now in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews begins by saying that in times past, God spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, and the Son has spoken, and even the Son himself has suffered as an example for us to follow. And then verse 11, it says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And I like how many times James has said brothers and how many times he has said behold, because he's talking to the children of God and he's saying, look at these things. Draw your attention. See 
the testimony again and again throughout the pages of Scripture, even the testimonies about those in your life, don't we consider those blessed who remain steadfast? How many movies have you seen where it's all about perseverance? It's all about making it to the end. It's all around us. It's wired into our souls that we would persevere and we would be steadfast even in the midst of pain. And so when James thought about someone to consider, he thought of the man Job. Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, if you've never read the book of Job, you've got to get to it. And if it's been a while, read it again. And James says that in that story, you'll find three things about this man who, who suffered greatly and that the Lord used it as a test and as a way of refining. See, Job had steadfastness in the midst of suffering. And the Lord had purpose in allowing Job to suffer. We, we, we see an outcome that comes from it. And the primary purpose of God allowing Job to suffer as he did was so that men and angels could see this truth, that God is compassionate and merciful. Look, you read Job, and on the surface, you might read it and be like, this doesn't sound compassionate and merciful. He went through stuff. And I'll tell you, it'll definitely make your problem see pretty dim in comparison to what this man suffered. But we all may go through some kinds of suffering in our lives. We, we don't determine that ourselves. However, what we see, as we see that man Job perseveres, we see the purpose of the Lord. God was bringing a purpose which was to show his compassion and his mercy. So again, without rehashing all of Job's story, go find that book that you thought was called Job and, um, and give it a read right? Ask the Lord to show you his purpose and to teach you that God is compassionate and merciful even in your pain, even in your suffering. And that will establish your heart with patient hope. Now, our last verse this morning is in verse 12, and it, it might seem like it's a little out of place, but this is one final scripture that reminds us that God is God and you are not. So be thoughtful about how you speak. Be thoughtful about how you plan and about how you're patiently enduring through trying times because it says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. See, when he says, but above all else, James is wanting to make sure we pay attention to this final point. Saying something similar to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where we remember these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for that is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so James reiterates that truth here when he says, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, it's not yours to swear by, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now what James was drawing upon and what Jesus was drawing upon in that Jewish culture is that people wouldn't swear by the name of God, right? I swear to God, you know. They would swear by lesser things like heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem. And it was sort of a way of having a binding oath or a non-binding oath. It was a way of being like, you, you can give somebody your word, but you could also kind of put your fingers crossed behind your back. And so what Jesus calls us to do is to say what we mean and to mean what we say. He's calling us to keep our word. If it's yes, keep your word. If it's no, keep your word. It fits in line with what James has been telling us all along. Don't tell me, show me. And so for believers, a final yes or a final no should suffice in any sort of dealing because we of all people are those who are to be faithful to our word. We should say what we mean and mean what we say. And, and we, live, we live in a culture where there's a lot of maybes. And maybe is really just a half-hearted decision. Because if something better comes along, we can change our plans. After first service, I talked to a young man and preached the gospel to him after the service. He didn't know the Lord, and I said, so do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, maybe. I'm like, did you not hear the message? (laughs) Let your yes be yes and your no be no. See, people struggle to make decisions because we fear commitment. And the reason why we sometimes don't say yes to one thing is because we think that if we say yes, then maybe something better will come along that we might have to say no to. But I'll tell you, in Jesus Christ, nothing better is going to come along than to say yes to him. And yet, I just think about that, how, you know, our lack of commitment, all of our maybes are rooted in self-interest and discontentment. You want to hang out on Friday? Maybe. Because you know if someone or something better comes along, you'll ditch that person. It's like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Honor your commitments. Stick with the things that God has called you to do. Now, as we end, I think about those words on Palm Sunday as Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now. But on Good Friday, the multitudes cried out these words, crucify him, crucify him. Just tells us how fickle we can be with our words. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Did Jesus Christ come once to die for your sin and raised from the dead to give you new life? Yes. Is Jesus coming again, and he's coming quickly, and his reward is with him for those who have endured patiently with hope? 
yes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning and we ask that as we now enter into a time of communion together, Lord, that we would come to these tables today taking of the bread, taking of that cup that speaks to us of your great sacrifice on the cross that you, Lord, said yes to your Father's will. You said not my will be done, but your will be done. And you said yes to taking on the penalty of sin, which was death that we all deserve, and yet you triumphantly conquered sin, death, and the devil so that we can live eternal life, both now and in your coming kingdom. But until we are in that kingdom, which is not yet what we have now, are these tables of communion to remember your first coming as we prepare ourselves for your second coming. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.